Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Uh, you're using both uh, arenas, Clint. You're not using Carlos. That's We're right. Live. You're getting a little, you're getting a little preview, folks. You're, Good, you're John. Behind the curtain, to work John Rojas. We're, We're going live. Let's just do it. <laughs> awesome. Well, welcome in, everybody. John worked on TV. Yeah, that's the best part about this. Whole I thing. didn't, I didn't hear a count down. So you, you get the point from Glenn. That, that, that's it. That's on the producer. It's point. Yeah, that was on me. But this is this is our signal. <laughs> All right. It was well, pointless. Welcome in, everybody. Uh, Tom Colbert, Roberto, very funny. Glenn Crooks. Roberto Bramowitz and John Rojas. Uh, excited to be with you on another episode of Soccer in the City Live. We appreciate any questions you have. Of course, we're going to talk about the big Eastern Conference matchup between New York City and New England. We're going to touch on the Western Conference Finals. Those are set. And, of course, the Philadelphia win over Nashville. Uh, lots of clips, as you may have heard as we went on the air here. We're going to hear from uh, Bruce Arena. We are going to hear from uh, a new, new MLS Coach of the Year just announced. Um, we're going to hear from several different folks throughout the broadcast. Glenn's got some clips lined up for us, but Glenn, we obviously want to start with the win over Atlanta. Uh, that's the reason that this game between New England and New York City happening tomorrow night. You and Roberto are in Foxborough getting ready for this matchup, uh, but this was a you know a highly anticipated game between New York City and Atlanta. Atlanta coming in playing well, one of the best second half teams in Major League Soccer. New York City though, with the the big two nothing win at home to advance on into this Eastern Conference semifinal matchup. Let's reflect back on that win over Atlanta before we turn our attention to in New England. Yeah, when I uh, when I look back at it, um, and I prepared a bit of a comparison between Tati Castellanos and Joseph Martinez. Now, they're, they're two different kind of players, but they're strikers, and they're the talisman for their teams. They're the goal scorers. And I just think, uh, and we know Martinez has worked his way back from a very serious injury, and we saw the finish he had for the game winner against uh, Inter Miami, and uh, it, you know he can he can still do special things. But I think the way that New York City shut him down, and kudos I think to Maxime Cheneau and Alexander Collins in particular, and a bit of James Sands in there as well. Martinez he he got loose late and. Uh, of course, got a great shot off. It was on frame, and Sean Johnson had to make a, a very good save to uh, to keep it at 2-0. Uh, you know, that could have changed the course of the game a little bit. But he was very quiet. And the, the one comparison I had, and this is, you know, this is, I, I don't know how you, when you classify uh, Castellanos versus a Martinez, Castellanos averages 
and this is now the defensive side, 18 pressures a game on the back line. You know, 30% of the time when he puts a pressure on, within five seconds, New York City's winning possession back. Joseph Martinez averages four pressures on the back line per game. That's not his game. I understand. But what I'm saying is the makeup of these teams and the importance of a Castellanos, I look at those two. Those two guys, to me, capsulized the what, what happened that night at Yankee Stadium. New York City is a better team, and they're led by Castellanos. Uh, without a doubt. And w- one of the things that was interesting to me is that you look at the statistics, and I have them in front of me over here. So Atlanta had... 407 passes to 278 for New York City. They completed 82% and New York City completed 76%. Yet, when you look at who was effective with those passes, it's all New York City because New York City had 13 shots to nine. And as far as chances created, it was 10 to six. Big chances, it was one zip and goals was two to nothing. And so it was about Atlanta, yeah, having the ball, but not really doing much with it. They weren't dangerous with it. And so, you know, New York City let them have the ball. They didn't care. But when New York City had the ball, they were a lot more purposeful and either through turnovers or just being more aggressive with their passes. And they were able to, they were the better team, even though the game looked a little bit strange because New York City normally controls more of the ball because that's the way that they want to play. But they were happy for Atlanta to have the ball and let them be, passing back and forth to the back line and, you know, not really doing much with it. It was fun. So, John, uh, here, just a couple of more stats and then get your thoughts. Uh, Ronnie Dyla wasn't necessarily planning to have 42% of the possession. I can tell you that because he says it on the pregame briefing, which you'll hear tomorrow at 7.15 on the New York City FC Network. I also addressed the fact that, and you said it, New York City had 150 fewer passes in Atlanta. That sort of that sort of um, contrast doesn't often happen in New York City games. But uh, I've only recently started looking at this FB ref to really look more at the analytics side. And I don't know what everybody thinks of this, but New York City, among their 150 fewer passes, they had 40, which were termed progressive, meaning forward with a purpose, meaning you know, sometimes chances on goal, compared to 24 for Atlanta. And I thought that particular statistic – and how Ronnie Dyla commented is just, he said, look, we want to keep the ball in the opponents and we're not as, you know, we're, and I think that's one way they've changed this year. They get the ball forward more quickly. And then when they, when they get it in there, what they want to keep it. What do you think, John? Uh, yeah. And it, I mean, two things I just wanted to open with, with uh, the statistics thing and, and a comment from uh, RSL's coach, Paulo Mastroeni saying that the human spirit will win against any statistic every day of the life or every day of the week, whatever he said on that sense. But, uh, I mean, uh, is that sense, that, that, that message is just a message of, of motivation regardless of what the you know, statistics and the game and the paper says. But going back to reality, <laughs> the idea with Atlanta and New York City is that uh, – you, you guys explained it, but we talked about it on, on, you know, previewing that game. The whole thing with Atlanta and, and Joseph is not defending Joseph. It's right. defending the service. And putting those, those, those statistics, especially the passing statistics on the map, 
Um, Atlanta, yes, they had the ball, but the majority of those passes were on the wider areas, right? So if you look at the map, for example, you can say, see that is a lot of passing through uh, Franco and Lennon and, you know, uh, Bello, even sometimes getting up to Marcelino Moreno. But the connection there is, starts to fade between Moreno, um, Barco, and then, of course, Joseph Martinez. The, the, the passing lane between Joseph, Barco, Moreno, and, and Araujo is the thinniest of, of the passing lane on a map for Atlanta United on the day. So that means the effectiveness of New York City FC was closing those spaces, closing those, you know, passing lanes for Joseph Martinez, closing the circle. But don't you think there was a, don't you think there was a little, um, maybe more than a little lack of movement off the ball by Atlanta? I just remember vividly in the uh, second half, Alan Franco had the ball uh, unopposed. Castellanos was a little further away. He was starting to bear down, though. And Franco's just looking, looking, and there was nowhere to put it, and he just served it out of play. He just served it out of play. I mean, he, maybe he could have done a better job of keeping it in the corner and hoping somebody would, would get on it. But uh, I, I just think – and maybe it was part and parcel of this clogging of the lanes. Uh, yeah. But uh, – but, and why did Bar – Barco was dribbling all over the place because he didn't have options, it didn't seem. And it comes down to two, two things. I mean, one, the preference of playing the wider areas to look for service for Joseph is making trying to stretch out NYCFC defense. And second, in that case, for example, of Barco, um, no, Franco, uh, you know, the, the not being used to the field dimensions. It's true. You know, once you have what you're playing, you want to play that wider area and then you ended up out of the field already with that pass. It, it just, yeah. it happens. Yeah. It happens when you have the pressure of the moment. Tom, can to I me, just, I want to say something say, first. Okay, no, go. I want to say go something ahead. first. Well, first of all, the hotel coffee is pretty good. And uh, John, I want to, I want you to, Tom, yeah, Roberto and I are in Foxborough. The last yes. time we were here, you know, we haven't traveled a lot lately because of the pandemic, but last time we were here, we there's at Patriot Place here, they have a bowling alley. Yep. Okay. And we had so much fun. And so, we come up here and it's closed on Mondays and Tuesdays. Can you believe that? It's closed. Boo. So we Boo. were going to go over after the live soccer in the city, have a beer and a bowling. And, and now we're, I don't know, maybe we'll still have a beer, but we're not. Not happening. Anymore. You're anyway. in the middle of, but, yeah, you're in the, yeah, you're middle of New England on a Monday night. Go home and sleep. Yeah, I almost <laughs> went down to the basement and grabbed my bowling ball and all my, all my bowling That would have been great. Make sure. Roberto was going to bring his personal bowling ball. Here I am looking for the, you know, I end up with like a, I don't know, a pink ball that weighs, you know, eight pounds. And that was the ball I got, Tom. But anyway, <laughs> no bowling. And uh, what was that bowling and, movie with Bill Murray? Back, uh, I, I don't, oh, I don't know. Anything with Bill, Bill Murray? Murray is good, though. Bill Murray yeah. is in a bowling Bill movie? Mur yeah. Uh, oh, my God. All right. I'm it was the one based in Ohio. What's the name of it? Uh, 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 uh Woody Harrelson was in it. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, was, I, I forget the name. Some somebody, if they if they're live, please comment. Let I'll us think know of what the name later. is because I can't. All right. I can't remember right now. But here, let, let, anyway. let me get to my point. Yes. Yeah. To me, the most shocking thing about Atlanta was 
I, I was looking forward to seeing them play and see how they how they were going to react to playing in Yankee Stadium and, and you know and having a full team because the last time that New York City played them they it was they were without Barco they were without Martinez Araujo had a blinder of a game until they took him out and then I think that helped change the game actually in New York City's favor and this time they had all these guys they had everybody from the start but Araujo was a ghost he's running down the left side and barely saw him and I'm I'm looking at the stats. And I think he only touched the, the he only touched the ball 42 times during the entire time that he was in there, and then until they finally pulled him out. Joseph Martinez touched the ball 22 times. You talk about denying service. New York City did a great job of that. Martinez was invisible except for that one time he got a hole in the ball, and you mentioned it. And and Sean Johnson had to make a great save, and Johnson made a few great saves, by the way, in this game, and that helped keep the score where it was. But the two guys who I really thought, or the three guys who I really thought could do a lot of damage, Araujo, Martinez, Barco, and they were invisible. Barco, not as much. Barco did have the ball. He led the team in dribbles and things like that. But uh, they, they really managed to cut to, to cut out uh, Araujo and Martinez. They did a good job with that. Well, Sean Johnson, I, I think, you know, you talk about hot goalkeepers going into the playoffs. I often heard about that in hockey growing up and here we are, and I think Sean Johnson is very much at the top of his game, confident. I sense he's leading the, the group uh, in front of him in a really positive way. His distribution is better. So uh, whatever is going on, uh, you know, and he, you know, Sean's, uh, he hasn't played that many playoff games in his career. He's been around a long time. He's 32 years old, but that was just his ninth playoff game and uh, gets the clean sheet and, his guy, you know, everything. So Matt Turner's in goal for New, New England. This was one thing I looked up to. You know, statistics are what they are. But save percentage is huge for me. And so if, if you go to the top of uh, Matt Turner's resume, what does it say? Shot stopper. That's the first thing listed, right? That's what he's really known for. So his save mm -hmm. percentage this year is 74.2%. Sean Johnson's is 74.1%. You know, Sean Johnson is a shot stopper as well and perhaps a little bit more athletic to get some things that to some things that Matt Turner can't get to plus Turner's feet probably I don't think either one of them have the best feet ever but I think uh, Johnson might have the edge in that territory too but uh, Turner uh, MLS goalkeeper of the year and that's what you got Glenn but um, I I, I want to put that into context and he's good I like Turner Turner's good <laughs> I'm sorry. No, John. I, Go I, ahead. What? I just, I, yeah, I just want to put that into context because if we do a lot of, if you give a lot of relevance to uh, save from your goalkeeper, we're definitely talking about a weak defense. And your CDFC defense is not a weak defense, right? What, what we're so, talking so about we save percentage and not just not shots on it's goal. It's not the number not of shots. shots. It's not minute. the number. It's, save, it's saving the number of it's shots. It's safe percentage. Are, are, I mean, it could be 10 shots over the season, and he saves seven and a half, right. as opposed to allowing so, seven hundred, allow you know 100 shots and saving seven. Well, like uh, Brad Brad Stuver uh, led the uh, you know led the led the league in saves. Why? Right. I mean, you know that. So that's right. that's different. That's different. Yeah, right? but it's, it's, that's the point. I mean, the other side of the coin is if you if you don't have enough safe, yes, you're there for that. I mean, you know if. Your percentage of saves and your percentage of shot stops, or they, they should be a balance between the two of them. Otherwise, you either have a weak defense or you're not really a good keeper. 
Got it. If, but but that's why I say yeah. say to me say percentage is the is the statistic that rings true to me with goalkeepers. You know, because if you know if you have a, a, a great defense in front of you and you only have four shutouts and your save percentage is sixty two percent, your team's probably not winning a championship. It's just. You know, it's not going to uh, happen. But, yeah, but, but again, what, that's one of those statistics in which you need the eye more than the number. I mean, I agree with your yeah, yeah. point There's and explanation of, regarding yeah. Johnson because it's true, right? Regarding Johnson, but you you know your keeper can stop five shots out of five shots, but you're winning three zero every time he has a chance to stop. You know, it doesn't make more of an impact on your game or results or your table position or even ab- advancing yeah. on, on your on, on your head-to-head, right? So yeah. that's when the eye comes in for those, those kind of... Um, no, um, for sure. And the one thing, uh, the other area I think Sean's uh, really improved, and uh, to me it's, it's really evident, is that anything he does save gets pushed out of danger. You know, I don't, I don't, I haven't seen a spillage in front of the goal or a save that's fallen in front of the goal in a long time. It's happened a couple of times this season, but, but not in a long while. And I think that's a, that's a credit to the work he does with, uh, with Rob Vertughi. And, and, uh, well, we're, you know, this is, uh, this is a fairly exciting moment for these guys, huh? Yeah. Well, you know what? We're talking about some individual players here. So maybe this is a good point to talk a little bit about James Sands. Um, this is a kid who, is riding high right now and coming off the season MLS all-star first real experience with the U S national team at various points. We know he is a very versatile player for New York city. We've seen him in the midfield on the back line. Um, and it's nice to, although he's been injured often early in his New York city career, they are a different team when he is healthy and in there. Um, and why don't you set this up for us? Cause I know you had a chance to connect with, with the young man. Yeah. I was at training yesterday and it was, uh, and I had arranged to, to chat with James Sands, and it was a nice sit-down. And, you know, that was his first playoff game last week against Atlanta because of his injuries. I mean, he's been a, a full-time player pretty much for three seasons, you know, two and a half, two and three-quarter seasons. But that was his very first playoff game, so he was happy to get that over with. But I thought uh, his most interesting comments were about uh, his versatility. So this is uh, – uh, this is already published on frame, uh, the other podcast I'm involved with, so you can go up and, and hear the entire interview. Uh, this is about three minutes or so long, so it's a bit of a long clip, but listen closely because I think there'll be a lot for us to talk about on the other side. Game, uh, saw you in the midfield, um, you <laughs> played at the back, uh, and now uh, my broadcast partner, Maddie and Lawrence, and I, have, you know, we've argued over time just to, what, what, what do we think uh, James Sands best fits? What's his most effective position? Now we have to add right back into it. So, <laughs> uh, I guess so. you know, because um, you've played four matches in, in that position. That versatility, um, it's proven to be very valuable for the club and I think for the national team as well. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I've ever asked you this. Do, do you think that sometimes – works against you when you're when you're trying to firm up a spot, you know, where you can work every day at the same position. How do you look at that uh, versatility part of it and, and your own development? Um, you know, I, I don't really think so. I think, you know, the way I play right back, the way I play center back, the way I play midfield, it, you know, it's a different spot on the field, but the way I play it is the same. Um, you know, relying on, you know, short passes, connecting with the guys around you. 
Um, and I think, you know, I'm able to switch between those positions just because I've got a good kind of understanding of the game. Um, you know, it does take a little bit of time to, you know, go from one position to the next, just, you know, from a technical standpoint. Um, like, for example, you know, at center back, you don't have to check your shoulder as much. Like, right. When you're turning in midfield. Everything's in front like of you that. for the most part. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. So it, it, on that front, it does take a little bit of an adjustment, but I think, you know, tactically, you know, all the pictures look the same. So I think that's why I'm able to do it, you know, as I have done. When you're in the midfield, then what is the adjustment getting at better angles, or what do you have to do to give yourself more awareness to make that adjustment? I think it, it's just about, you know, checking your, you know, for me, it's about checking your shoulder. It's more about, you know, like looking who's in your blind spot a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and as a, as a center back, you can kind of, uh, you know, see a couple plays ahead because you're at the back of the field. And I think as, you know, a midfielder, it's a little bit tougher to do that just because sure. it's moving so quick. Um, so I think that's kind of the big difference. Now, how about fullback or right back or <laughs> inverted right back yeah. or whatever we want to call it? When you've played there, you have found yourself uh, more central yeah. and maybe not as advanced as a typical fullback. Yeah, I mean, when they've put me there, the uh, the message from the coaches has been pretty clear and and that, you know, you're they wanted me to be almost as a third center back when I'm doing that with the ball, um, you know, and that suits my strengths much better. Um, you know, I'll be the first to tell you I'm not going to get on the overlap and put in a bunch of crosses, um, you know, as a traditional right back would. So it's for me, when I play that position, it's about, you know, coming centrally and, you know, being as a center back or, you know, as a midfielder sort of. Out of the back, you made a pass at Inter-Miami. I'm wondering if this is one of your better deliveries in your career. It was over a great distance. It was on the deck. It got into Maxi mm -hmm. and then Maxi to Tati, and that proved to be the game winner. So you had to gain some comfort. You've always been a good mm -hmm. passer of the ball, but that was over a distance. Yeah, and I, you know, I think it goes back to just being able to to see the picture. Um, you know, I could see very clearly what was happening, and you know, at each position, you kind of have a couple options that you run through. Um, and that's that's one of them. So, you know, it, you yeah, first have to have the movement, which, you know, Maxie's great at. And then it's just about delivering the pass. All right. So there's James Sands yesterday after training and a, a pretty good breakdown of uh, playing each position. Uh, Jana, did anything stand out to you uh, throughout that? Yeah. I mean, the simplicity with which we, he um, sees his role in every position. It's not that simple, but he described it very simple and it makes it look simple. It's important because his, work, you know, his brain is simplifying everything that each position requires from him to make his life easier. So he gets into those challenges with a lot of more uh, space, mental space to read the game Instead of being focusing on, I had to do this, I had to do that, I had to be here, I had to be there, right? He simplifies the instructions that he gets, I mean, and and and, and put it on a way that he is uh, reading the game most of the time. And and, and the fact that he uh, first and foremost um, divides the difference in how much should I scan or not. That's my first point, right? That's what I gathered from him, and he is very focused on that, and that's important because uh, scanning the field is one of the big things in the game. 
Yeah. I, how about you, Roberto? Tom, what do you got? I was looking at what he was saying, and the one thing that struck me is obviously the different responsibilities and the different tactics that you have to have in each position. And you've got to keep your head straight because you have to understand where you are. And the fact that he can do that so seamlessly or seemingly so seamlessly is just really outstanding because you, you, you have to play the position differently. It's not like you're just doing the exact same things in different positions on the field, but you have to, you have to do things differently. When he talked about how he turns his head when he's playing right back as opposed to playing in the middle. I mean, that's a huge thing. You know, for most people, you would think, wow, you know, you don't even think about that sort of stuff. But for him, uh, he was. And I think that, you know, that, that's really, really important. And for him to do that and as calmly as he makes it look is really extraordinary. And one one other thing, Ariel Judas with the save, the name of the movie is Kingpin. <laughs> oh, Kingpin. Yeah, great movie. Right. Well, let me ask well you guys done. this with, with Sands. What do you think is his best position individually? And is that the same for a healthy New York City squad. If they're if everyone's on the field and ready to go, are they one in the same, or you know, do you think ultimately there's a spot on the field for him um, that that he thrive? What spot on the field does he thrive the best at, John? I, I would say in the middle, either center back or or, or defensive midfielder. Uh, yeah, I mean he, yeah. he's doing the rest and he's doing it fine, but but that's the but that's what you wanted. I think that's the place that he uh, tries the most. And, and I feel, even if he doesn't say it, so that that's, that's the spot that he feels more comfortable on. Yeah, one thing I, I wanted to add, too, uh, regarding the versatility, he thinks he absolutely was called in uh, when McKenney and Robinson were suspended U.S. men's national team for that last match because of his versatility that he could play at the back or in the midfield. But he added also, he goes, as time goes on, and the roster shrinks, you know, the size is limited because of the, the competition. He thinks, you know, if he continues to develop and progress, he thinks his chances increase because he can play both spots. And that, that makes sense to me. If, you know, if he's effective in both, uh, you know, do you, and you need, you need that kind of thing when you have a smaller roster. It does. It always happens when uh, coaches, you know, finalizing the roster for a major competition, uh, you usually have three or four spots for versatility. You know, players yeah. that you you don't need to or specialty or somebody who's good in the air or something exactly like a special talent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. at the end of the day, that gives you a space for someone on specialities or uh, more forwards. You know, so the diversity is very important when when you have to create a real a small roster for a, for a competition like a World Cup or something like that. Well, when you when you look at him, I mean, I think he sells himself short if he says he can play two positions because actually he plays three because he can play in the middle and a back four. He can play the six, but at the same time, he also gives Greg Berhalter the versatility to play three or five in the back. Because he's the best at that. Yeah. And that's the only time that Berholter's ever played that was with Sands because he can play that position. Now, the question I have for uh, both of you, John and Glenn, is what, when he was playing for the national team, and, and I think actually they played him more at the eight than at, at the six, he was, which is not really his position and all that. And some of the people that were talking about the fact that maybe he doesn't have the speed to play that position. When he plays the six in the, for the U.S. men's national team, 
obviously a step up from MLS. So does he have the, the speed? Does he have uh, the quickness and the speed to be able to play that at the international level? He thinks so. And you have to listen to the podcast on frame to hear the whole interview because he said, and it, it's part of his soccer brain. He said pretty much, if I get caught in a foot race, it's over at, at the highest level. But he positions himself early and reads the game. And I think we've seen that. He gets into passing lanes as, as good as anybody in the league. Part, part of my answer is that, but the other part of that is depending on who is the coach. Because you, you want to you know, play a frenzy of a game with not real soccer quality, but you know, jumping lines and going forward and that kind of stuff, then this is not your guy to be in the middle. But if you are a tactical guy, if you want possession, if you want clean passing, then this is your guy because you need guys in the middle that reads the game, that connects with clean passing, that it, for them is more important to control the ball in the tempo than just going 4-4-4 four, four, four all the time and every time. But if you start your attack through the center backs, you want a ball playing center back. So if that's your system or if that's your method, it's, if that's what you want, then he fits, uh, he fits uh, better at the back. I think it remains to be seen whether, uh, you know, I think the way I put it to him, and it wasn't uh, within, that, uh, within that clip, and the question is that it, does he feel like the versatility, or maybe I did, I can't remember now, does the versatility harm him? You know, is it, is it a detriment at times? You know, sometimes versatile players in any sport, uh, you know, get caught in that as being versatile rather than, you know, I'm the best center back. I'm the best holding midfielder. I'm the best fullback. I'm good at all three, and, and this is good for my coaching staff. You, d- you did ask did. him that. Yes. You did ask him that. You should listen to okay. your own podcast. Okay. Right, but uh, the, the answer is yes, it's a benefit. It, it, he's not a jack of all trades where he's mediocre at three different things, but he can play them. He's actually really good at them, and so that that's the point. I mean, wherever you put him on the field, except maybe the eight, or at least with the U.S. national team, that didn't seem to work very well. But, you know, it's well, a very not an small... Eight. Right, it's, exactly. That's not going to be good it's also, Right, it's also a very small sample size, right? He's never really played that for a long period of time for him to get used to it and to adapt to it. But, I mean, look how we played the, the, the right back, or the, the elbow of the right back. I mean, didn't take him that long to get adjusted to that and play that properly. So, you know, he's a guy who can excel at all these things. Give, it, give him time, and he's going to be able to, to really jump in and learn it well and, and succeed. So he's not a jack-of-all-trades. He's a master of several of them. So if he once was, again, Glenn, once yes. again, once again, he goes back to who is the coach, yeah. because there are coaches that from the get go uh, will tell you, uh, and 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 when it comes to the game, there's no right or wrong, right? It's just ways to get at it. But there will be coaches that will tell you, if you play so many positions, you're not good at anyone. You're not really good at anyone. Right. Well, that's so. That's- it all depends on the coach. Coaches that are open-minded, ready to use that versatility, open to give him the chance to keep growing on those positions, to take risks, to make mistakes, and, 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 and to, you know, get his back. Yeah. So if he's – look, I, I, you're not going to start Nico Acevedo, I don't think, against New England, even though he's back to full health. So you, you would expect Sands to be in the midfield again. So what are his responsibilities tomorrow? It's uh, – it's Carlos Heel time. I, I put up a graphic earlier. Carlos Heel and Maxi Morales, the 10 on the other side, they have more assists than anybody in the league uh, since 2019. And they, it's usually Carlos Heel to Gustavo Bo 
oftentimes Adam Busca has joined the party as well. And then it's usually Morales to Tati Castellanos. But Sands has a pretty big responsibility along with Alfredo Morales if that's the pairing in the midfield tomorrow. And that's that would be the expectation. Well, let's talk about this New England matchup. Um, New England, obviously, phenomenal season. Supporter Shields winners. Uh, just a fantastic overall record. When you look at it, guys, 22-5-7, 12-2-3 at home. Only home losses, 3-2 to Toronto. And then the last regular season game when they had everything wrapped up to Inter-Miami. Um, but this is a team over the years, really, Glenn and Roberto. Um, since we've been a part of the New York City broadcast, you've never really thought of – New England as a super dynamic offensive team that scores a lot of goals. It's always going to be a fight and it's usually not a, you know, a pretty match anytime New York city, and New England got together over the years. Um, but this is a new England team that has a lot of weapons and you mentioned it. Heel books, Buchanan, uh, they're, they're loaded offensively. They score a lot of goals. They play very well at home. They got the MLS goalkeeper of the year. Um, this is certainly going to be a, a very tough matchup tomorrow at new England. Well, Here's what you see with these players, uh, uh, the and the ones you mentioned, um, especially the younger <laughs> ones. Uh, they de- have developed. They've gotten better in the last two plus years. Why? In great part to the leadership within the program uh, on the technical staff, and it's led by Bruce Arena. Arena was named the MLS Coach of the Year, seventy years old. Uh, I love that since sometimes there's this uh, preponderance of youth and we have to go to youth in certain situations. And here's a guy that continues to learn. And uh, John Rojas prepared this clip for us from uh, Bruce Arena's press conference earlier today. And he talked a bit about his own evolution. Different than I was in my early years, uh, for sure. No, no question about it. We uh, we learn something every, do- every day in this profession. I think... Uh, uh, the game has changed. Uh, the uh, the atmosphere around teams has changed. There's a lot of issues inside and out, outside of teams you have to appreciate in this day and age. Uh, maybe 30 years ago, uh, I knew everything. Uh, today, I realize that, that I, I don't. So that's a, that's a big change for sure. But I, I have changed. I think I'm a little bit more patient than I was in the past. But uh, I, I've been I've enjoyed coaching uh, every bit of the way, so uh, it, it's been a great experience for me. Well, there he is MLS Coach of the Year, but he has he's evolved. He's admitting it. It's like uh, most guys his age are not accepting of the uh, you know the modern kid and all the social media, and you know I'm sure it annoys him at times. But uh, Glenn, and this time, this time he wasn't joking Long Island style, so. He was being yeah. serious about his answer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, to, to me, he's still my, my, my favorite as far as press conferences con- are, are concerned and the answers that he gives because it's just there's just such there's so laced with sarcasm. And if you don't get his sense of humor and you don't get his Staten Island, New York uh, way of being then uh, you're not going to understand him. And you think that is either being mean or hoarse, and it's not. It's just you just have to pick up on what he's saying and what he's doing and where his humor is, and he's hilarious. He's absolutely hilarious. And, yes, well, I'm sure that he has his favorites, and he, and he picks his moments of when to be funny or when to be cutting and all of that. But for, for the most part, I mean, he's just he's brilliant. He's, and, again, hilarious. 
He may have driven through Staten Island, but that's that he's Brooklyn born and then he lived right, on Long Island. Brooklyn, sorry. Yeah. So that it's all right. So all Tom, right. Tom, his record at New England, 38 wins, 15 losses. I mean, you think remember he came in for Brad Friedel? You know, that was a train wreck. Oh, that was yeah. And was and he came in and uh Bo joined the fray, and that was uh, that was huge. But this is a guy that knows how to coach. 38, 15, 23, winningest active head coach in MLS history. Uh, actually, he's tied with Siggy Schmidt. His next win puts him on top. So, yeah. um, you know, I I love the guy because and, and I'm happy for him that he's had this chance to to get back to it and have success because, you know, the hammer was down, obviously, after the failure to qualify for the World Cup, which was hardly his fault. That lay in the arms and feet and, and mind of Jurgen Klinsmann far more than it did Bruce Arena. But uh, in the moment, uh, he didn't make the right choices, and the team didn't perform, and they lost. So He's got fault. He, he's not absolved of that. He's not absolved at all because he had his team qualified the game before and then all he needed to do was get a tie, and he couldn't do that. He, he's partly he's responsible for that too. He, I think I, I think I kind of said that. I, I nah, you basically no, you 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 put it all basically on Klinsman, who's got responsibility, but about, Bruce Arena yeah, is just as responsible. Yeah, Klinsman's about ninety-seven point five. About ninety-seven point five. No, Klinsman. no, no. You you shouldn't lose in Quava to a Trinidad and Tobago, who's basically playing with a USL team. You well, can't well, do that. That's, that's one game. Yeah, let's. Well, yeah, that's a different podcast. That's game. a different podcast. Let's keep it on New it's England. It's an important game, and let's I love keep, Bruce, but let's keep he's it on New England. Responsible for this. Bring all the players all right. in and 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 have a nice little one on one. Responsible too. You guys can do twenty minutes on this on another podcast, but let's all focus right. on New York and New England. All right, when the season ends, we'll do the Bruce Arena yes. failure yeah. podcast. Yeah. So, John, it's <laughs> easy just to look at the names. Late. It's easy to look at the names for New England and the numbers and say, okay, yeah. The reason they're at Supporter Shield winners is Buxa, Bo, Buchanan, Hill, all the goals, all the assists. But what what makes them so dangerous offensively? Um, when you watch them, you know why are they so tough? Why are they so effective? Is it all through Hill? No, no. Eight no. college players on the field, by the way, for them right. usually at the start of the game. Just to want to make that note. Yeah, and, and, and not only that, but, I mean, Tom was referring to, you know, the offensive side of the game. So when you talk about that, you had you had to get into consideration how um, how improved, how fast, how good on the ball, and how well the size, the big chunk of the last place, Tejan Buchanan, you know? And how and, and that comes again. It comes back to all the work that Arena is putting into that team. I mean, you talk. Uh, we're going to list them. I mean, the Juan Jones, Brandon By, Tejan Buchanan. Right. Uh, you got three. Kessler. Uh, uh, Kessler, Matt Turner. They're five guys that were nobody. Yeah. Before they got together on this team, you know. And Andrew Farrell and then, was a fullback. He wasn't a center back, right? He, no, no, he, he played. He played. Oh, I thought he was mostly a, a fullback back. early. Okay, I thought. No, no. Of his... But 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 the, the the good point there is that I mean I didn't want to add Farrell just because for me Farrell is right now, um, like you know part of part of the legacy of the England Revolution, right? right? right yeah. Most games so played. It, Most games it, ever played. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. If you want yeah. something to happen and you have him on your roster, he has to be on the field. Period. But 
putting together those guys that were so well developed on the Bruce Arena with experience like Bo and Buxa. Remember, at the yeah. beginning of the tenure was this rumor that Buxa and Bo couldn't even see each other, that they were not playing together, that they were having issues that, you know, and either that was false or they worked through it, but they both got on the same level. You know, they, they went into a point in which Buxa throws a ball in his goal and Bo throws a ball in his goal. So he wasn't for a couple of matches and they still, you know, won, played the same thing, playing the same style. So going back to the, the offensive side of the game, that, 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 that uh, characteristic of Station Bucana on the wider area, especially on the right side, is so important for Hill because that's the guy who's going to run 1v1s, who's going to take the width of the field with him and give Hill the opportunity to move around a little bit as, as the old uh, Iguain in Columbus yeah. crew, you know, whatever he wanted to be around yeah. the midfielder and, and the forwards. And that gives a lot of space for him to manage. Hey, you want to, so, uh, Glenn, I want to yeah. ask you a question. Yes. So did, do you, to try to stop new England from being as effective as they can, do you try to basically deny heel service and try to keep the ball off his feet as much as possible? You could, I'm, I'm working to get into the mind of Ronnie Dyla, who generally is not going to defend one player like that. It's going to be more of an effort of pressure, cover, defending one, two numbers around him whenever possible. Yes. So that's where Sands Morales and the central defenders will, um, you know, that's, that's an important uh, period of time for them. But as John says, he's going to drift. So here's the deal. Can, are you going to have a player, you know, follow him to the uh, to the sideline to get a drink of water? You know, no, you're mind not going to do that. No, no, no so they're not going to do it right. So it's just it's just territorial. You know, wherever he drifts, the closest player has to pick him up and then get a second player over there. Communication. Know? No question. Hey, uh, let's listen to Bruce Arena talk about New York City FC, shall we? Things can happen early in the game. Maybe a, a team gets an early goal and it changes things. If you've watched these playoff games to date, I think they're they're highly unpredictable. Uh, uh, certainly, uh, New York City is a, is a team that attacks, has good players. They have a good mentality as a team. They're well coached, but they also, uh, you know, they defend well as a team, and uh, they've defended much better collectively over the last month. They have a good goalkeeper, experienced center backs in the attack. They obviously have a, 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 a an outstanding goal scorer. They have a good player and uh, playmaker in Morales, and every every player on the field for New York City is a good player. That's about right. You know, that's about yeah. right. They're miss, they're missing Anton Tinnerholm, so you got an eighteen year old out there trying to get it done. Tavon Gray, good performance against Atlanta, but that's just it. When you look at New York City, they're they're really you don't. There's not a a, a quote unquote weakness, I suppose. No, but don't forget about got, Keaton Parks too. By the way, yeah, I shouldn't forget about uh, Keaton I Parks. Mean, that, by the way, he's huge yes. for New York City. Keaton and, Parks, uh, by the way, was that miss- he was at the training facility yesterday. Uh, he was wrapped up his leg, but he says he's 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 good. He's feeling better. You know, the blood clot is a you know that's a sometimes serious thing, and uh, there were um, a number of treatments along the way, but apparently. Uh, He's cleared any hurdle of uh, any sort of danger, so that that was good news. Um, so, who do you guys parks. like going up on the left side to contain Buchanan? 
Well, Maldi Abinson's going to start. I, I, you know, I'd be shocked yeah. if Robinson doesn't start. I mean, he's been starting ahead of Goody, and and he's generally the better defender. Um, he's regarded as the better defender by the staff. So, yeah, the point yeah. there is, Glenn, the communication that we were mentioning before. You know, I mean, Amundsen is going to be there. Amundsen is going to be the better defender of the two that you have on on that position, but he will totally need real good communication and real good support from the wider player on the midfield to get through Buchanan together and deny those opportunities. And that's so we're like talking Sandy Rodriguez. Rodriguez, yeah. Or, Rodriguez, yeah. Uh, and if you're playing yeah. almost a twin, you're playing twin six. If 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 it's Sands yes. or Morales, you're playing a twin six, so one of those could pop out, and then Collins can cover him as well if, if he gets around the edge or something like that. That's mm-hmm. pretty important. That's pretty important. Well, that's uh, – yeah, that's cool. It's, yeah, because that's, uh, basically, that's basically – you made me think, Glenn, I'm, I'm just going now through – my mind is just going around, but that's basically what the coaches told you to triangle the guy, you know? So if Buchanan is coming, Amundsen is going to come forward in front of him to face the 1v1, but he, Buchanan, should have one guy diagonal to him, defending him, which will be uh, the, the center midfielder, uh, Morales, I guess, Alfredo, and then one behind, you know? And then the only way that he has is the line, the lane, and he has to go back and, and play for support. The biggest because thing he, is, ha- he has to be messy to get out of three guys in a small yeah. space. Yeah. You like well, the also, they, they got to like make the sure that they got right cover. <laughs> By the way, you, you also have to make sure that you got the right cover when Anderson goes forward. So if he goes forward and tries to, you know, send crosses in because as he likes to – he likes to do, he, he does go forward a lot, then you've got to have the right cover behind him as well because Buchanan's not going to be defending him all the time over there. He's gonna, there's going to be times where he's going to be waiting near midfield to get a ball, and then New York City is going to have to be right defensively to make sure that he doesn't do any damage. Well, pick I, and choose. Pick and choose because Almusen has to pick and choose which moments he can go forward and, 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 and make sure that the play is finished. So if he's going to cross that ball, it's going to be perfect for someone. Or if he's going to give the ball back in diagonal on the grass, it has to be a perfect pass, and then he's going to retreat real quick. But if he's going to lose the ball in that moment, then the team is losing because they're going to cut you in transition. Yeah. Well, we've talked so much about the concerns on the defensive side. You know, New England's got to be prepared for that front four, which is playing pretty well right now. You talk about Rodriguez, Morales, Baxi Morales, um, Jesus Medina, and then Tati, of course. The, you know, it's always it's always that battle of you want Buchanan to have to defend. Exactly. So Amundsen and Santi Rodriguez have to force this guy to defend, and you have to keep the ball to get fullbacks into the attack. You have to keep the ball effectively, and that's the biggest thing they lose without Keaton Parks in the midfield because he's he's got that ability to really, like Maxi, kind of develop a rhythm and tempo to the game like no other players that they have on the first team. Sands is good keeper the ball. He's good delivering a pass, but he's not as fluid uh, as, as Keaton Park. So, uh, you know, it's uh, keep Buchanan occupied defensively, you know, and you can't just – you're going to have to take some risks in order to, to beat New England. And, uh, and you have to know that you're going to beat one of the best keepers in the league, if not the best keeper in the league, Matt Turner. So your shots are going to have to be quality. He's not – and just like Sean Johnson, neither one of them are going to uh, let in a soft goal, I wouldn't think. 
Also, we have to be. That's pretty even matchup going into tomorrow. Yeah, I I think the game. This is a great game. I hope both teams just have their everything in order. All the best players play their best matches because I I really truly think that this could be a, a fantastic playoff game, one of the best. Because the well, playoff you... games up to this point have been, I don't know about you guys, but from what I you know they haven't really. I don't think there's been much to them to be honest with they've you. They've been in, they've been intense, but they haven't exactly been well played. But they have yeah. been very intense, and I, I like the intensity and I like the drama. And I don't ever really expect these type of games to be really, really well played. I do expect them to be hard fought, and I expect them to be dramatic, which I think in that case, that has happened. So the question that I have for, for both of you, is, and I have another one, so is <laughs> how do you guys – yeah, I'm asking questions today. Uh, how do you guys think the, the weather is going to wind up affecting the game? So it's not going to be windy. But it is going to be cold. By the time the game starts, it's going to be 31 degrees going down to 29 degrees uh, during the game. 7.30 start. It's going to be pitch black. It's pitch black at 4.30 here. So, uh, And they're playing on turf. Well, the uh, the South America boys will put their gloves on before the start of the game. I, did you see the kit man last week running around at halftime handing everybody gloves? <laughs> well, not everybody. Castellanos, Morales, <laughs> you know, those guys. But I that's, think because unless... <laughs> that's one of the things, Glenn, with, with South American players, you can you you cannot feel cold in your hands. It's like it's I don't know, it, it ha, it's just it's just like that. It's inexplicable. But if you feel okay. the cold in your hands, it's like your whole body's cold. If you have really? if you had your hands warm. You play and then you sweat in and then you're fine. I mean, you know, here and there you check your air, but other than that, you feel it. You go through it, but your hands, you can't, you, you can't stop thinking about your fingers. <laughs> your hands Roberto, are Roberto, have the, have the crafts not paid the electrical bill? Because you make it sound like there's not going to be any lights there. Well, I, I think, hey, the no, there'll, be, there'll be lights. No, okay. I, look, the stadium is right there. The, uh, the, I can see the stadium right out my window here. And, uh, but, uh, no, the, the lights are on. It's, it's going to be okay. No, but what, be but the only thing that could happen, which would impact the, I don't think the cold's going to have, if, especially if it's not windy, but if frost develops on the field on a plastic surface, that's a nightmare. That's a nightmare. I don't know. You know, I don't know if that gives on any team an advantage, ball. but yeah. Yeah. yeah the ball is going to be it, hard to control. Yeah, and it's, you know, gets a little hard. I don't know. So hopefully it doesn't get to that point. Yeah, I told you something. I was, you know, looking into the game and the similarities and more the the same level of quality players that they both teams have and and trying to think how to approach the game. Um, For me, NYCFC is going to try to go out and eat them right from the bat. You know, like first 10 minutes, two balls out there. Let's see how to deal with that. You know, a, a, a second wave of attack. We protect the second ball and try to score before the 10 minutes. Right? Like yeah. boom, boom, all the way out there. I don't care how. I don't care about the structure right now. Use the first three balls out there and then we settle. And the other thing that makes sense for me is one, of course, uh, NYCFC is the visitor. So fine with that. Two, the long period of time without competition for New England Revolution. I mean, they they say and think 
that they find that they won't lack any kind of competition level. They play in a, a friendly game. They work, of course, the, the two weeks. But if you are the opposition, you want to test that. You know, I want them to feel the game before they even wake up. 23 days without a, without a competitive match, going into the most competitive match you're going to play, where intensity well, is just so much higher. How is that going to affect them? It wasn't like Colorado, because Colorado only had to wait like 16 or 17 days. But uh, as far well, as New England is concerned, they played last Thursday. And so now New York and New England is playing Tuesday. So, you know, there's a big difference. Well, let's, uh, I, I spoke to Ronnie Dyla yesterday as well. This is part of the pregame show that you'll hear on the New York City FC Network tomorrow at 7.15, nycfc.com slash radio. And he talks about that, although he gets the number of days a little messed up. But th- the question here was uh, the three wins in 10 games in the playoffs for New York City as a franchise. They've never gotten past the conference semifinals. So I asked him about that. Yeah, a, a, a huge moment for the club, but it, it really kind of stands on its own here. It seems. Yeah, it is. Of course, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I don't like to talk so much about the past, and I don't like to talk so much about what can come either. I, I we get what we deserve in the end, and um, and if we do our job well and we prepare well and we, we get a good performance. Uh, we can achieve something, and, uh, and that's my focus now. We, we can talk about what they come with, how they will cope with 30 days uh, without playing football games. In the end, it's about us. It's about what we can do something with, and that's our performances. And when we perform like we did against Atlanta, we, we are really, really hard to play against, and that's uh, that's uh, the main thing now. Yep. So it hasn't been, it's not 30 days. It's going to be 23 days, right? November 7th <laughs> and November 23, 3rd. 23, yeah. That's like that reminds me of Dolme Taran talking about how long some of the trips were. You remember Roberto? He'd say, "Oh, yeah. we we're on the bus for nine hours." Well, all right, yeah, it was no, two. It was two. It just seemed like nine. Yeah, remember yeah. at the beginning we told him stop complaining because this is totally new, and we all know that this is new for you. Yeah. But this is what it is, and yeah. you should know it before signing in for. So. Go with well, it. Dolme would love it now. They don't fly commercial anymore. It's all charter, so he, he would take that. You know? no, <laughs> by the way, Adia. Ariel just sent me this. It was another quote by Bruce Arena. He says, while there was talk of finding an opponent for a friendly match to maintain yeah. peak levels, Arena joked, eh, it was very friendly. We played ourselves twice. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I wondered. I didn't know that. So they just did two interest squads. That's it. That was it. No, wait. Wow. Carlos Hill said that they play a friendly game. Well, I, that's Maybe they're true. lying. No, Arena's probably just joking around like he would. And yeah. New York City, New York City played Philadelphia during the international break. Now it was I heard it was, you know, a pretty innocent little scrimmage, but you know, both coaches felt like they should do something and uh apparently a lot of the players that don't see a lot of time play, but I also think they probably worked on a couple of different things uh getting ready. And uh, now Philadelphia sits and waits at Subaru Park for uh the winner of this match so i you know philadelphia that was uh they've really been charmed a bit they deserve it uh, you know i i i think uh the way they go at it um they deserve it at the end of the day wait and... then before before jumping out of philly uh it's just because i want your opinion on this how surprised 
would you be if NYCFC ends up winning against New England? And I'm saying just because, you know, the coach of the year, uh, record, goalkeeper of the year. League, league goalkeeper of the year, league record on points, Supporter Shield. Comeback player of the year. Comeback player of the year, whatever. So <laughs> I forget the awards. I look, if you check out the, the last two seasons, these the games that these two have played. New England has the better record, but look at the last game at Gillette. It was two one New England wins it. Santi Rodriguez scores eleven minutes into the game, pulls his hamstring. The game really changes. You don't want it to, but it did. And he was incredible in those opening minutes. He really looked. That was the first game where he was like, holy smokes. Look what they've got. Then Alfredo Morales gets his second yellow in the 52nd minute. And sure enough, Tejan Buchanan, the game winner, came with New England, you know, up a player. So that's the way that last game went at Gillette. New York City won at the Yankee Stadium 2-0. Now, granted, there was no uh, no Tejon Buchanan, uh, no heel, no heel in that. We understand that. Then the opening match between the two, which was at Red Bull Arena, June nineteenth, New England won at three two. Matt Turner stoned a, a Tati Castellanos penalty. Matt Turner had a great game in terms of saves. That was a that was a huge game for him and for his club at that moment of the season. And wouldn't it be interesting? If Tati Castellanos met Matt Turner from the penalty spot to decide that game tomorrow night, I would love that. And would love to know if Tati goes low and hard to the left again, where Turner made the save. But anyway. I'm allowed to say what he's going to do. Go he's right not, ahead. He'll never Padenka. Yeah, he will. No, I don't know. How about Slonina? Did you guys think, Roberto, when you were doing that broadcast, did you think Gabriel Slonina for Chicago, the Castellanos won the game with a penalty. It was 1-0. It, he froze in the middle. Did you think he was thinking Panenka and just the yeah. either way? Yeah. I did. I I, right. I really thought that's what that he was trying to outguess him. And he said he said, Well, if he had Panenka's, I'm gonna be right here and I'll make him look like an idiot. But uh Castellanos went low left, uh to Castellanos left, and he's just stood there. So uh yeah, that was pretty interesting. So he is a pretty good character. I really like him. He played well in Mexico too during the that tournament that they had over there with the U twenties. Revelation. So, uh, yeah, he played pretty well. Yeah, so that's um, uh, that's my that's my dream moment for this broadcast well, but, tomorrow. So answer the question. I mean, Glenn is answering the question for you. If I understand properly, you're not you wouldn't be surprised. Not in the least because mm-hmm. of how they – I think it's a good matchup for New York City FC. I think New England, this is one of their more difficult matchups. Uh, you know, the particular reasons, I, I don't have a, a definite uh, response to that other than New York City has been able to find the space to keep the ball a little bit better against them and make uh, better decisions once they get into the uh, New England end. So we'll see. All three games have been very, very competitive. Hard for you can make an argument that while they were uh, New York City had the better of it for a lot of it. And I don't think that that changes tomorrow. I, I think we're going to see a lot more of the same. I think New York does definitely have an advantage over the fact that New England has been sitting for 23 days. I think that plays into the first at least 15, maybe 20 minutes of the game. If New York City can get take advantage of that, then it behooves them. But uh I, I'm not shocked or surprised or anything if New York City w- wins this game. I, you know, I just think New York City has been built 
to, to win a championship. And, you know, New England's just another team in the way. And they, they play them well for whatever reason. Styles make boxing matches. And the same thing goes for soccer games. Styles make games. And New York City's style bothers New England. Even though New England won two out of three, New York City's style bothers New England. And if everything's equal, New York City has a great chance of getting out of here with a win. You with us, Tom? Yeah, no, I think, look, uh, you, you know, going in, you have to say New England is the favorite at home, just body of work and what they've done this year. But given how close the matches have been, not only this year, but just since the two teams have competed, it would not it would not be an upset. Maybe technically it's an upset, but it would not surprise me if New York City walks away with the win. Just, just purely because of how competitive all the matches have been between the two teams over the years. Yeah, and so, look at so last clear, year. Glenn, Glenn, just last year, clear, just... we we are analyzing game, not the table, not points. Correct. Uh, yeah, that's that's right. for sure. If you're yeah. analyzing points, then New York City will just be having a, a a disgruntled charter flight home tomorrow night. You know, it's a, but look at last year, one one and one was were was were the three games. I know that's last year. I know it was an an odd year. New York City beat New England in Foxborough two nil. So they've had success yeah. there. Ebers scored, uh, then a nil-nil draw in Foxborough. Both those games were in September. Then at Yankee Stadium, New England beat New York City uh, two to one. No fans in the stadium for that. So it's but you know that's part of the deal. That's why it's hard to kind of evaluate some of those. And I will make one final uh, point: is that I think one of the reasons because I kind of said I'm not exactly sure why New York City matches up well. I do know. I think New England's back line is pretty good. I don't think they're superior. And I think the move when New York City is moving really well, that front four, when they're combining and getting in, I think they're tough to deal with. I think they're tough for New England to deal with. I think Matt Turner is going to have to have a, a really good game. That's what I think. So we'll see. Hmm. Hey, I've got it's one inter- more thing. It's interesting. It's interesting. It's going to be I, – I hope it is a really good game. I mean, there's two teams that had a lot of tools yeah. to play a great game. And they're pretty healthy, you know, not, not with Parks and not with Tinnerholm is tough, but that's been the case for a little while now. So mm. the, the adjustments Well, they're not sure and... about Buxa, right? So Buxa is a game-time decision. I don't know that. Yeah, that he's weird? not going to start anyways. Bo was the one okay. who starts. Okay. So. Yeah. What's Buxa's injury? I've heard that a couple – you know, I, for some reason I missed that. What happened to him? I, I, so, you, know, you, you know that they don't have to publish this stuff, right? Well, it's, so, been a, no, it's, no. Been a, it's been 23 days, you know, can it, it must be a serious injury. I mean, you know, that amount of time and you're not ready to go? He well, got you under friendly. <laughs> <laughs> the friendly, friendly, he got, yeah, he yeah. got well, nailed. So, in hey, the New England player availability, it, it says, says questionable Adam Buxa. All right, well. Whatever question, questionable quite, means in MLS, which is not exactly the same as questionable in NFL. It's yeah. It's the, who knows this player availability thing. I just out. Que- and plus, the things don't even have to be submitted until like an hour and forty five minutes before kickoff. So I I don't even <laughs> that. I don't even ar- argue that. Hey, so at training yesterday, I thought this was pretty cool. Uh, and make sure I'm pronouncing this properly, boys. Uh, Los to pl- templados. Is that right? Templados. Yes. yes. Templados. So they uh, and they did it. Uh, Roberto, I don't know if you remember when we um, – did you do the scrimmage with me at, at um, Eddie High? Yes. Uh, with uh, – when they played Hartford? Oh, that no, was I, did not, I did not. I, was, uh, you okay. I thought you didn't invite me for that one. 
I didn't invite you. I thought you, you went about it talking about the. Uh, but the, I, uh, saw it, I, I saw it on the stream. Well, they were there. There were like three or four of them, and and, and New York City let them be in the corner, and they were playing the drums, the whole scrimmage. It was it was pretty great. Yesterday, a flock of them showed up. I mean, a, a, a large group. But this, so I asked Ronnie when uh, after the uh, training session, and they had been out there, and uh, I just asked him because it was loud. I mean, Robert Tugin came off the uh, the keeper coach, and he was he was smiling, but he said, "Man, it was so loud." We, we we couldn't even hear each other at times. But uh, anyway, this is what it was like. The supporters group out here, Los Templados, uh, they were outside the, uh, the the facility, but they were making a lot of noise, drumming. and What did you think of all that? Oh, it's fantastic to show that they care uh, and they want to support us. And that's something you sometimes miss uh, when you have been, been here. Uh, so really, really nice to see uh, see uh, how much that means for, uh, for them. And, uh, take that into the into the game with us one of your staff went out to you and said hey they're really loud you want me to you want me to calm them down a little bit but you just said nah, yeah. I, I don't know what you said what did you say no yes uh, of course it's uh it's a little bit loud of course when you're going to train but uh again it's uh it's one day and uh it's nice to, i think for the players as well to see that uh we have done something good and uh we make people excited to to what's coming, so so that's is very positive. So I thought it was pretty cool. And then Ariel Hudas was uh, at training with me, uh, Roberto's broadcast partner, and he was explaining. He goes, "This is this is very much a a, a Latin tradition where, yep. especially before a big match, the supporters show and go crazy at the training pitch." Did you read the banner too, uh, Ronnie? I. I, I don't know I don't know Spanish. What did it say? I hope it was clean. Yes, it was. What did it say? Yeah, yeah. I, I had you know what I, before you go I have it I had an Argentinian friend uh, who's a referee who saw it and he replied something like they, they took the Argentinian phrase for this. Does that make sense to you guys? Or not? Yeah, it's part of it. Well what uh, did it say? Uh, all all united for glory. Right, Roberto? Yeah. I saw the glory. I guess I should have caught that. Yeah. yeah. All united for glory. Uh, that's what you call it in Argentina, especially. You call it el aguante. Aguante? Yes. Aguante. aguante. The thing is that it has different connotations. And it's really good on that sense, you know, going and support and make, you know, make your voices heard and make the feel and the players understand and feel that you're with them, that the, the, the supporters are with them. Uh, but in South America, they turn out to not be so good because that is the moment in which uh, Barra Brava is coming to the facilities and, and um, get face-to-face with the players and ask them, you should win this, we're not going to lose against those and trade them and ask for tickets to get inside the stadium and favors and that kind of stuff. Right, and so, if the team is losing, if the team is going through a bad streak, the last thing you want to do is see these, those guys there because your car isn't going to probably survive, among other things. They, <laughs> it, it, it's, a, it's a different sort of pressure. Now, thankfully, in New York, we don't have that sort of – in New York, in the United States, we don't have that sort of supportive culture. That, those guys are there just – not culture. Don't call it culture. Well, well, what else would you call it? No, it's not culture. It's, I don't know, you can call it tendency or, or you can call it, uh, I don't know, lack of education, whatever you want it. 
but threatening someone and pushing someone to win because I'm going to kill you, you don't do it, and that kind of stuff is not culture. No, no, but it's a, no, no, it's a, diff, it, it's a different translation of the word. Right. It's a different meaning of the but, word. Well, when somebody well, says support yes. a culture, that means that that's uh, it, it's a normal it's a normal thing that this that, that these things happen. It's yeah, not. I'm a, going straight it, to the point, Robert. I'm going straight to that point because uh, the, the the South American uh, soccer world and the South American people who analyze and, and live with the game here in the States, and you guys heard this a lot before, even Mexican people, they used to say, oh, yeah, the thing is that the Americans don't have the soccer culture that we have, right? Oh, that's a different story, right. And for, and for them, that is culture. I mean, you know, feeling that if you're going to lose this, you cannot get out of your house the rest of the week or the month. Right, that and I don't, agree, right. I don't agree kick. with that, right. Exactly, that if you miss the penalty kick in the semifinal, you have to ask for a transfer because you cannot live freely in your city. That is not culture. So I don't want that kind no. of stuff connected to soccer culture anywhere near the game. All right, I understand. By the way, Ariel says that uh, it's called banderazo. Banderazo, okay, because it's the, yeah. it usually is the, the, the day before the big match. Yeah. Well, you yeah, know well, where there's a good where there's a good culture, where John Rojas is in the Rose City. Yes, it is. It will be the Western Conference Final. Now that's a home field advantage. Before we exit, let's just touch on the Western Conference. Uh, Portland. I don't know how many of you guys had in your bracket Portland hosting Real Salt Lake. John Rojas Big. apparently did. No, wait. Yes. Yeah. No. But hold on, because I just want to connect two things there. Yeah. Okay. One. Uh, 99% of the Ross City is rooting for NYCFC <laughs> <laughs> because sure. that opens the door wide open for Portland to be the host of the uh, MLS Cup final, right? Right. And then talking about how Portland won that final in their stadium because of their fans and the culture and all that, uh, we're we, we having a comment here for Irving Bedoya from the NYCFC Forever podcast, Glenn. You can... Uh, look for it. And it says that more than 700 fans will be in attendance. Well, NYCFC here, fans. Here's, uh, here's Irving Bedoya, who has yeah. uh, been watching and is letting us. I, I heard at least 500. This is good news. 700 plus. Good news if you're uh, part of the uh, first team up, for yeah. New York City and the technical staff the, that you're going to have uh, this kind of support. Uh, there is a sense of excitement that I don't I don't recall that we've ever really seen among the supporters, despite all the different things going on, the stadium issues, any other issue that they've had uh, with uh, with New York City or the city football group or whoever. This is a um, this this group. Uh, it, it's a strong group. The support is ardent. It's genuine. Uh, I got a feel for that yesterday. And uh, what a wonderful scene as each player drove out the gate. Uh, the players stopped. They rolled down their windows. Some of them got out of the car, and it was just autographed. And I'm telling you, there was like 50 of them. I got out. I, I'll share my picture on Twitter, but I had my picture taken with them too. There was this young boy, two young boys, and they were just and, – and Roberto, and all of you should know, at least a half a dozen of them just said thank you and thanking us for what we do because we help keep them connected, you know, with something like this. You know, and I'm 
I'm really happy about that. And, and if you're not amongst the supporters, it meant a lot to me to be there yesterday and see it. That's because yeah, I don't see it that often because we're up getting ready for the broadcast. You could look out into the left field bleachers. Yes, it was a great crowd, but you're not in it. You know, you don't you don't really get the feel. So well, I remember when we were in Miami or, or Fort Lauderdale and we were leaving the stadium and we saw a lot of the guys from Los Templados there and we got a chance to speak to them. And, uh, you know, it was great to see what kind of great support because there's a lot of guys who travel for every single New York yeah. City FC game. And, you know, obviously they had their issues with, with the team when they were playing games at Red Bull Arena. Thankfully, that's not happening anymore. Unless of well, ridiculous circumstances. Yeah. Uh, right. Unless horses. ridiculous circumstances. You know, Remember, Brad Sims Yankees, told us but... he can't guarantee it. Remember? Don't yeah, be guaranteeing it, Roberto. Gee. Right, because it's... It's the Mets and the Yankees, but they're going to do their best to make sure that none of the no, games it, no. Remember, it's MLS. Yeah. The MLS schedule is going to be what makes it difficult. That that's the yeah. most difficult. But anyway, that's. A, but I just don't. I, I don't want you to uh, guarantee. Yeah, no and don't, more don't, Red don't, Arena. Yeah, and right. don't get away from the point. I mean, that display that you show us that happened at the practice facility that way, right? Supporting the seven hundred plus that are going to be on New England and how they're going to sing and jump and be with the team. That's actually the kind of culture that you want. What Roberto mentioned, you know, of, of people flying out and going to 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 the uh, away games. It's not easy in MLS. It's not easy in this country to no, fly every weekend. No. You know, right. it's country. expensive. It is expensive. It's, it's not expensive. the same as in, in, in our countries. And and that's what really want you want that to happen. You want that John, to happen. The one thing that I want to I want to specify here that, that that I love about the supporter culture, especially in the United States, is that it's a positive culture. Okay, it, it is. It, it's really. I mean, sometimes we have some of them that that do curse and, and things like that, and I wish that wouldn't be there. But the, you know, that's that's almost impossible. I love the fact that there are supporter sections that are family friendly, where you can bring where you can bring kids, because I think that's important. Because you want to introduce them to that, and you want them to get into it and feel the passion for the game. But the fact that we have a supportive culture in this country where players feel safe to go and score a goal and go into the stands and celebrate with players and celebrate with the fans. This does not happen anywhere else. This is Get insane. down from the car, Roberto. Get that like yeah. yesterday. Get down from the car. Tati Castellanos and many yeah. others. Stopping the car on the side, getting down, taking pictures, signing autographs. It only happens in the beautiful times in other countries. As soon as the things are a little rough, they just flew out because it's dangerous to be out there. <laughs> exactly. I mean, there's reasons why there's barbed wire fencing separating the fans from, uh, from the field. There's reasons for it. Well, this is uh, – well, I think we've set the table pretty well here, Tom, uh, for what's going to happen tomorrow night. And uh, it really, uh, you know, this is a, a huge moment for the franchise. Obviously, they've never gotten past this round of the playoffs. And now they have to do it against the Supporter Shield champion. So we'll see. Looking forward to it. Guys, where can we hear the call? All Go right. Ahead, well, the Spanish call. All right. Here we go. The Spanish game. Uh, this, well, Spanish game. The Spanish call will be on nycfc.com slash radio. We're going to be. On at 7.15, uh, Efrain Juarez will be my pregame guest. Uh, and also we'll do a Facebook Live at uh, 6 p.m. from Gillette Stadium, Pedro Navaja, as we like to call it in Spanish. 
So we will uh, we'll be there. And then you can follow me on Twitter at Rob Abramowitz. If you're watching this, and you can see it there on the screen. That's how you spell my last name. And uh, Roberto Abramowitz Oficial on Facebook and at Roberto Abramowitz on Instagram. Well, right. Short enough, cool. We're on at 6.30 with... Six very, very, very well done, Roberto. Everybody's starting to freeze here on this live stream. I'm not sure what's going on. We better get out of here. But uh, I'm we're at six thirty. Uh, uh, Maddie Lawrence and I will do um, our uh, typical Facebook live uh, with our preview. Uh, it's on the New York City FC Facebook page, and then all my social media stuff. Seven fifteen, like Roberto, uh, airtime on the New York City FC network, uh, and pregame show uh, features uh, Ronnie Dyla. Uh, the head coach for New York City FC, and I'm at Glenn Crooks. And I just want to say one thing. Uh, I, we ran into a guy in the hotel today, and this is a guy I just I have I love him. I think he's a fantastic coach, but he's a wonderful individual. He he really looks at life very clearly. Uh, and he was Patrick's uh, top assistant, Patrick Vieira's top assistant here at New York City FC, then went to Nice with him. Christian Latanzio is just mm. here observing games. He's the new assistant coach for uh, Charlotte, which will start in the MLS next year. Next year. And uh, he's just, uh, he said, he's just trying to get the lay of the land. They're doing a lot of scouting, obviously. They've got to build a roster, but he's a big part of that. And uh, wonderful to see him. And he has agreed to appear on the Coaching Academy on Series X MFC, which also excited me. But uh, that's it, Tom. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, boys. Johnny, what do you got? Um, on, no, I just come to jrojas875. That is on Twitter. Um, I spoke with a few players this morning from um, Portland Timbers. They're very disappointed in some way because they were expecting that the appeal – for the red card on Dyron Asprilla was, you know, they were expecting that that decision will be on their favor. It wasn't. Uh, Gio Savarese didn't want to be specific on, on the answer that he got. He just said this and it just didn't happen. It doesn't matter the rest. We had to move forward. Uh, I personally thought that they will have grounds because he, I, I didn't really see any kind of an actual, you know, uh, action for a red car like he was just looking for the ball he didn't even hit the player on the face his hand was on wasn't on his face but one thing that you should uh, really uh, see there is that uh, Dyron Asprey is a huge guy so whatever he moves he you know is 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 it's a lot of eyes taking on that on that guy because he's very very huge so that's it I'm uh, Gio is just talking about the game and um Santi, uh, uh, not Rodriguez, I was about to say Rodriguez. Uh, and, and a few other players, uh, Jimmy Chara from Portland Timbers, and we spoke about how they're going to become, not overcome the absence of Sebastian Blanco and Dairon Asprilla. And Tom, right. yes. before you close, and then I'll give it. So it, it needs to be said that if New York City can beat New England and then Philadelphia and RSL defeats Portland, then on December the 11th, the MLS Cup will be at Yankee Stadium. Yankee Stadium. How great I love it. How love great it. Would that be? And how I about all it. the bitching about the size of the field that will go on then? That'll be worldwide. Yes. It'll be beautiful. Absolutely. Love it. Love <laughs> it. I just want to see everybody have Fingers a crossed. meltdown. And hey, Glenn, congratulations. Saying, oh, it's 100 by 50. 
We should say this publicly. Congratulations <laughs> to Rutgers. Oh, yeah. yeah this college, Cup. Ladies. college Cup Final Four, baby. Yep. Friday against Florida State. Uh, two wonderful teams. It's uh, Looking forward to that one as well. So it's, and, uh, I'm hoping for a good week, New York City and Rutgers. And let's not forget one final good stat for you, Georgia football. Uh, first time in 95 games that Alabama is an underdog. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. That is a wow. 2015. I can't believe I haven't watched much college football this year, but I happen to be at a, at a, your alma mater. At my, I'm watching Auburn, Alabama. I can't believe Alabama won that game. It's incredible. Incredible. All right. For anyway, all right. Glenn, Roberto and John, I'm Tom. Enjoy the game tomorrow and everyone. We'll see you next time right here for another episode of Soccer in the City. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.